Hey everyone, Trace here. Welcome back to Seeker Plus. Today we're going to re-air the very first episode of Plus Ever, all the way back from June of 2015. In this episode, we are talking all about Mars. And let me tell you, this is a very different feel from episodes that we're doing now. I love it. It's really cool. This is where it all started. Really exciting. We're going to talk all about Mars, why it's so cool, what the planet is actually good for, why we should or shouldn't colonize Mars, and we're also going to talk about how Mars maybe isn't even the best planet for us. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to take a deep dive into the geology and economics, technology, and potential of Mars. It's going to be really, really good. This is the episode that started it all. It was almost exactly three years ago. I hope you enjoy it. So let's kick into it. Mars is so cool, and it kind of always has been. Mars was discovered in antiquity. That's what astronomers speak for. We've kind of always known it was there. We looked up into the sky when there was no electric lights and there were stars everywhere, but there was this one really bright one, and it was bright red. So, of course, we're going to notice it. Cultures throughout history have associated Mars with with war and death because, you know, it's red. Makes sense. It was studied by ancient scientists throughout all of our history, B.C. and A.D. Uh, I don't know if we say B.C. and A.D. anymore, but whatever. B.C.E., C.E., there are different ones. Tycho Brahe, for example, was a Danish astronomer. He made accurate calculations of Mars's positions as early as 1576. That's a while ago. And they knew how Mars orbited the sun at that point. Guys with names like Copernicus, Kepler, Hudgens, all looked at Mars. They all made an impact because of studies that they did with Mars. Sure, they're known for other things too. But Mars was kind of the jewel of the astronomy crown for a long time. Jupiter is very famous because it's so big and there are so many moons. But Mars is our closest neighbor. It was named after gods. Greeks named it Ares. And then they were conquered by the Romans, so it got its current name, Mars, which all the planets in our solar system are now named after Roman names. But Mars was the god of war. It was just really valuable to culture throughout our history. Victorian scientists studied Mars. Uh, Giovanni Schiaparelli observed Mars in the 1870s, and he thought, my God, there are canelli on Mars, or whatever. But it's funny because they aren't actually canals. So canali was mistranslated into canal. It actually means channel. So what Giovanni was looking up and thinking, oh, this is a channel on Mars. It's something that may have been a natural formation. It probably was already there. It wasn't built by a Martian necessarily. But when it was translated into English, Americans and other Westerners thought, oh my God, this guy is saying that there's aliens that are building canals on Mars. And look at his maps of these very straight lines, which were not drawn by him. So American Percival Lowell, who founded the Lowell Observatory, by the way, was one of those who thought it was a canal. And he actually spread that myth far and wide, which is why it's still kind of around today. You see those pictures of canals on Mars and they're, they're not real. And no one thought they were real who, act, well, people did, but the guy who discovered them didn't think they were real, which is kind of telling. Science fiction took Mars, and they ran with it as well. Again, it's been something that's just kind of been our, in our consciousness for so long. The Princess of Mars, which became that smash hit John Carter, 
That was based on Lowell's and Schiaparelli's canals and the existence of people living on Mars. And it was one of those awesome early science fiction books that really changed the genre. As soon as the moon was achievable, though, Mars kind of seemed within reach, too. I mean, in the thousands of years that humans had been looking up at the sky, we'd seen this bright red planet, and now we'd come to the closer big silver one. So why can't we get to the next closest one? Mars. Makes everything get smaller, right? You fly around the Earth in an airplane, Earth seems smaller. You go to the moon, the universe seems a little smaller. You go to Mars, what is that going to do? It's going to be pretty awesome. So what could Mars do for us? I mean, again, closest neighbor. So we can get there, maybe. It's potentially habitable, which is awesome. I mean, potentially. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's a little over half of Earth's size. The axis is similar on Mars as well, which is important. So Earth's axis or angle as it's facing the sun is similar. Mars is 23, I think, and we're 25. The soil there on Mars can grow stuff, assuming we could, of course, get to Mars. But they've done experiments here on Earth where they simulate Martian regolith or Martian soil, and it's able to sustain crops, which is great. So if we can get there, we could grow food. There's also mineral mining, which is really important. It creates a commercial reason to go to space. Mineral mining in the Martian crust is going to be different than Earth's crust. You know, here we have to dig down and we can get gold and we can get carbon and any number of other things. But there, because Mars is a completely different planet, it's going to have different minerals. So they're thinking the volcano plains of Mars probably have nickel and copper, titanium, let's see, iron, platinum, palladium, and chromium which I'm not really sure what any of those things do, but some of them sound really good. There's also impact craters on Mars, which saves on digging. So that's a bonus for any mineral mining that goes on on Mars. But of course, really, the point of going to Mars isn't to mine it or even to grow crops, although those could both be reasons to go, to go once we get there. Colonization is the most exciting thing about Mars. Humans living off of the planet Earth. I mean, that is amazing. Just think about that. We could have a colony on another planet. If an asteroid were to wipe out Earth, people would survive on Mars. That's a fantastic idea. I mean, that's mind-blowing. Of course, they would be Earthers originally, but technically, I guess they would be Martians at that point, right? And you probably would have all sorts of political implications eventually. If somebody colonized Mars, then you'd have like, well, we want to be independent from Earth. <laughs> that could get weird. Taxation without representation, but on a galactic level, I guess. Anyway, the technology to go to Mars is kind of huge. It, it, you can get off Earth and get to the moon. That was all driven by the space race with the Soviets, of course. We're not racing anybody to Mars. So that's part of the reason progress has been so slow so far. But space technologies, they make everything better. Every dollar we put into space research comes back to us multiple times over in a variety of other ways. I mean, cordless tools are a side effect of space technology because we need to be able to use cordless drills to work in space. Solar power is a side effect of space technology. It had been invented well before that, but because of powering satellites, we made solar power better. Video gaming, nuclear power industry, U.S. Olympic sports, NASCAR, they all have technology from the space race making them better now. So imagine if there was another Martian space race. It's farther. It's 
more difficult. We need to learn to grow crops better. We need to learn to entertain humans better. I don't, you can't exactly get the internet on Mars. We could read, that'd be great. There's a psychological impact of being alone all the way to Mars and then being with a very few number of people on Mars. And they've done experiments like Mars 500 Project where they put people in a capsule for 500 days and things were really rough. (laughs) They eventually got out and talked about all of the issues that came up with just being in these small spaces. And it's not like you can go get a breath of fresh air because you can't. There's nothing to breathe on Mars. On top of all of this, Learning about other worlds in general is amazing. And, you know, we can send robots to Mars. We've done it. We've sent more probes to Mars than to any other planet. Uh, But robots only do so much. When Curiosity landed on Mars, it was very exciting for everybody around the world. But if a person landed on Mars, that's more than exciting. That's inspirational. That gets people to want to go, to want to explore more, and to want to be engineers and scientists, mathematicians. It makes humans better. But... I guess the real question is, why Mars? Why wouldn't we go to Venus or maybe asteroids? That's also being talked. Or even, you know, why not back to the moon? It's closer. It's easier to get to. We've done it before. And as much as we want to colonize Mars, you can't really live on Mars. They say habitable, but it's not, that's not really accurate. Summer on Mars, it's nice. It's like a balmy 80 degrees. Winter on Mars, negative 200 degrees. Not so good. Average surface temperature on Mars is about 67. The atmosphere on Earth, we've got oxygen, we've got nitrogen, we've got carbon dioxide. On Mars, it's 95% carbon dioxide. So that's not good. Can't breathe that. It doesn't work. Just to get to Mars, on the way, on the spacecraft, you're going to get 15 times the annual radiation limit for a worker in a nuclear power plant just riding in the spacecraft on the way to Mars. And Mars' atmosphere isn't exactly awesome at shielding the humans who might make it to the surface from radiation. So even still, you're going to be exposed to a lot of rads the entire time you're there. That's not good. So while they say Mars is habitable, they're, they're not really. It's not really habitable. So why not the moon? It's an ideal staging ground for launches anywhere else in the solar system. If we can make a colony on the moon, you get a lot of the benefits of being on Mars. You get to be off of the planet just in case something goes wrong. You get to have a colony somewhere else. You get to explore space. You get to explore what technology would be like off Earth, which is important to build habitats in an environment that's very harsh. Uh, It's great for old people. Something my dad always said about the moon. One-sixth the gravity. Huh? Come on. And hop around, kind of fun. And plus, it's really close in case there are problems. Mars is so far away that if something were to go wrong on Mars, us mounting any kind of effort to save the people there would be very difficult. The moon is a few days away. Mars is, is months away, even at its closest, depending on how far away uh, it happens to be from us at the time. So the moon is a great idea. Asteroid mining, also a great idea. Asteroids contain precious minerals. They contain metals, also valuable for commercial exploitation, which is an incentive to go to space. The moon also has helium-3, by the way. I didn't mention that. It's a mining resource that they can get from the moon, which is very valuable in industry. There's a commercial benefit outside of just idealism. Mars has those commercial benefits, but 
you have to be able to get those minerals back. Again, difficult to get there and back. Uh, although both of these things, I haven't really mentioned, the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 bans the owning of any celestial body. So let's say a giant company finds a way to get to an asteroid, capture it, and either mine it there or bring it back to Earth and mine it in orbit, maybe at a Lagrange point or something. Do they own the mine? Do they own the asteroid? Do they own what they get from the asteroid? According to the Outer Space Treaty of 1967, they don't, and it's actually illegal for them to do so. So maybe asteroids aren't the best idea. Venus, that's a good idea. It's close. It's a little warmer than Mars. Actually, it's a lot warmer than Mars. Gravity is very similar to Earth, though. Mars is a little smaller. Its gravity is a little lower, and we know that gravity doesn't, like low gravity, we don't handle that very well. Uh, gravity on Venus is 90% Earth gravity. But the surface of Venus uh, is not so great. The average atmospheric pressure on Earth is one. On Venus, it's 92. You would be crushed. And it rains sulfuric acid from the sky. That's not great. I don't want to live there. The probes that they've sent to Venus, they've taken pictures of Venus's surface. It's an amazing sight. But because of the high pressure, the high temperature, there are like rivers of chemicals flowing down rock faces. And they maintain liquid at that temperature and pressure. And it's crazy. And the probes took pictures and then were immediately crushed and probably then worn away by sulfuric acid over the next you know, few months and years. Uh, so Venus is not so great on the surface, but there is a plan to float dirigibles above Venus, and you could just live in that dirigible. You get a nice warm temperature. You get the resources of those clouds. You could actually maybe even mine or scoop up what's in the clouds in case there's something cool there. There's a lot of solar power available because you're closer to the sun than we are. And again, gravity is pretty normal. So you could live there pretty comfortably as long as you had the resources to do so. And because the atmosphere is a little denser, it requires something a little less light to float on top of that atmosphere. It's pretty cool. It's a really neat plan. Um, You can look it up. It's kind of awesome. But in the end... It's kind of a waste of money to spread the love from asteroids, moons, Venus. We got to pick one. And I don't care. If you go to Venus, I'm excited. You can't walk on the surface. You're floating in a dirigible. I've seen dirigibles. They're at every sporting event. You walk on the surface of Mars, you changed history. You float above the surface of Venus, you did something really cool. But you didn't change anything, even though it's another planet. More missions have been attempted to Mars than any other place in the solar system. We obviously want to go. We know how to go. We've sent probes there. We've mostly done okay. Some not so okay. Conversion to feet and meters is pretty important. Remember that one. Half of all NASA missions have failed since 1960. So we're, we're, we're batting okay. Not great. Which makes me wonder, is space travel actually worth the money? It's a big question. We get this one on DNews all the time. I've done whole videos just about what we get back from spending money on space travel. But let's play devil's advocate. Money is a huge driver of anything in space. SpaceX is great, but it's funded by a really rich guy and also now contracts with NASA. But for the most part, through its history, it wasn't funded by contracts from NASA. It was funded just because somebody wanted to build it. Going to space is expensive, We spent 4.5% of the whole federal budget in the late 60s on space travel. 
Today, it's less than one half of 1%, which is less than half a penny for every dollar in taxes goes to space travel or space research. It's really expensive to go to space. Yeah, we could go to the moon, but that cost a lot more than what we're spending on NASA now. Not to mention, space travel takes forever. When you go to Mars, you're going a lot farther than going to the moon. It takes months or weeks to get there. You will be dead before you get to anywhere outside of our solar system. I mean, you can't go anywhere else with current technologies. No matter how fast we can make you go, chemical rockets cannot take us to another place. No matter how much money you have, people will die before you get there. Mars, its distance ranges from 50 million kilometers to 400 million kilometers. Ranges depending on where Earth is in its orbit and Mars is. So at the farthest away, it takes months or years to get there. Another star? There's no way. No way. If it takes almost a year to get to Mars, to get to another star, we're talking like thousands of years, assuming we can go fast enough to make that even worthwhile. The only human thing to leave the solar system, Voyager 1, we debated for years if it had even left the solar system yet, because we don't know. This is the furthest thing away from us that we've ever made, and it's currently still maybe in the helioshock just outside of our solar system, and it was launched in the late 70s. So it's been traveling really fast for a long time with a small nuclear fuel power source, and it's still not that far away in the grand scheme of space. So you'd be dead if you tried to go anywhere, anywhere in space. So is it worth the money to spend to have to make generations of people live in space? It takes a lot of technology, and if everybody knows, machines do one thing really well. All machines, they fail. And if you are outside of Jupiter and something goes wrong, how do you fix it? You can't. You're dead. That's it. All this technology takes time to develop. It costs money. And we can only take so many people at a time. We can't all go to space. So you're taking very small groups of people for a lot of money over a long time, and it costs more than $1,000 per pound and as much as $10,000 per pound to launch someone off of the surface to get into space. It's really, really expensive to go up there. I mean, all of these other big companies that I mentioned, they're working to bring the cost down, but it still costs a lot. So money is the biggest factor. The second biggest factor is human lifespan. We don't live long enough to go anywhere more interesting than our own planets. There is a project working for this, though. One of my favorite projects in all of science is called the 100-Year Starship Project. Mae Jemison, she's a former astronaut, a shuttle astronaut. She's an amazing human being. She is the director of the 100-Year Starship Project, and they're looking to fund, brainstorm, and plan to send humans to another star system within a century. They just started, so they got a lot of time left, but they're not sitting around. They're thinking about how to make propulsion systems that go faster, how to understand the psychological problems of living in a small space for most of your life, which is what we're looking at at this moment. And they're also looking at things like policy and politics. If you have 100 people on a giant ship and they're flying toward Alpha Centauri, how do they decide how to resolve problems when they come up? What if someone dies and they had a job? Who takes their job? These are questions they'll have to answer if they're ever going to go to another star, let alone another planet. But it's really exciting. If you think about it, they're basically building a new civilization to do this. So they're forming their plans. They're looking into technology. They're 
Scientists from around the world are working together to try and find a way to get humans safely to another place in our galaxy, which is just incredible. Which brings me back to what I said earlier. If you put a human on another planet, you have changed the world. And we might have to do that. The Earth is already dead. We just don't know it yet because we don't live that long. So space is really the only answer. The only way we can survive as a species is to leave the planet. And this isn't Trace talking. This is some really smart people from throughout history, including some of the smartest minds on our planet. We have to go if we want to survive. I mean, climate change, that's terrible. But if we stopped doing all that stuff today, it would take hundreds and hundreds of years before we saw any benefit to us stopping instantly. Not to mention overpopulation. We have to go to a new place if we want to keep growing as a species. And meteors. (laughs) We might get hit by a meteor that would wipe out our entire population. Maybe not everybody, but we would start over from scratch. So if we could send somebody to Mars, if we could send somebody to another planet, we would protect human history, even if there was no Earth. And I'm not doing this to be a downer. I'm just saying that these are inevitabilities. It's statistically inevitable that Earth will be hit by an asteroid. It's going to happen. Or a meteor, I guess, because once it hits us, it's not an asteroid. So what can we do about that? We could terraform Mars. That is something that they're looking into. It would take a long time, hundreds of years. But if we started, we could make Mars a place that looks just like Earth. It's got water. We know it's got running water on it currently. Very salty running water. but It's there. Very salty running water, but it's there. So when I was a kid, I thought, well, we're making greenhouse gas now here on Earth. Why don't we make greenhouse gas on Mars, warm up Mars, and create an atmosphere there? That is one plan to help terraform Mars. Another one is use giant orbiting mirrors to reflect more sunlight and heat onto the surface. That'll melt the polar ice caps on Mars, release CO2 trapped in the ice. That will thicken the atmosphere. It'll hold more heat, and then they'll be able to get some O2 and nitrogen working in there. I have no idea how they're going to do that plan because those mirrors have to be the size of Lake Michigan. But you know what? Optimism. I like it. Three, they could smash icy comets into Mars, which is one theory as to how Earth got its water, is comets smashed into our planet in way before, you know, any life was here. And that brought with it nitrogen, oxygen, and water, which meant if we could do the same to Mars, we would essentially geoengineer it to be the same as Earth, if we assuming we do it right. So since Earth is dead, eventually, on a geologic or galactic timescale, Earth won't be here forever, so Mars is our closest lifeboat. If an asteroid is coming, and it, it is coming, we could go there and we could save our species. It may be used to have life as it is. We're still looking into it. Obviously, that's part of Curiosity's mission, Opportunity's mission, a variety of other um, mobile units that they've got down on Martian surface are looking for signs of running water and organics to maybe determine whether or not we have life or had it in our solar system previously. So the thing I think, the most important thing about Mars when it comes to us deciding what to do with it, is this is what humans do. We go places. We explore things. We search. And we went to the moon because it was there. And yeah, we were competing with the Soviets, but it was because it was there. 
Just like we left the sight of land and headed for the horizon. Just like we left the family when we went out into the world. Just like we left our tribes. Just like we left our trees as ancient primates. Just like we leave our wombs. Gotta go. We gotta go somewhere. That's what we do. So why not Mars? Seems like a pretty good stop for me. I would go, if you asked. Just note, anybody out there? I'll go to Mars. Thanks, everyone, so much for hanging out with us here on Seeker Plus. Just a reminder, you can find us over on YouTube by looking for Seeker. You can find me as well. You can also find me on Twitter, at Trace Dominguez, and find us at Seeker. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, make sure you let us know over on our Twitter. And I hope that you loved this episode. If you did, please give us a rating and share us with your friends. Thanks again for listening to Seeker Plus. We'll be back next week with more crazy science. Keep on listening. Keep on listening.